0: Okay, so we'll go ahead and uh, begin. So this'll be uh, kind of a title slide for our series. And so we're just starting it today. But before we get there, let's reminisce about things past. Uh, uh, We ended the last series and we didn't really do a review towards the end of that. And I thought from time to time, I might wanna pull these back up and review anyways. Um, reviewing kita, not forgetting, uh, especially as we get older we need need that more like who am I what where am I okay. so overview of the Bible in forty points from dr. Jerry Tetred, um, our friend in ministry um, had worked there for many years in Arizona at International Baptist College and Seminary now has gone on to be with the Lord shared this with us when he was here uh, so let's see how we're doing. On the 40 points. We'll make this fast. I don't want to belabor this too much. But can we remember the 40 points? Okay. Might um, remember that they're, um, by and large, they're divided into sets of six. Um, six times five is 30. There's the Old Testament. And then ten points for the New Testament on that. Um, I don't remember them all. I'd be surprised if you remember them all. Uh, but um, we'll see how we do. Uh, I'm not going to grade you. And you don't have to confess um, unless you get them all right and you need your ego stroked, you can raise and say, yep, got it. And then we'll applaud, pat you on the back, and tell you what a good boy or girl you are. Uh, so if, if you have the need for that emotional support, just let me know. Um, we'll be happy to accommodate. Maybe we'll gather around you in a circle and sing Kumbaya as well. So that, uh. Okay, so overview of the Bible in 40 points. So you can think to yourself, what do we have going here? Do you remember some of the points? Here they are, Um, creation, the fall, (coughs) the growth of sin, and it really grows in society. Um, We have the flood, point number four, start of nations, and the Tower of Babylon, those last two, you just really see after the flood of Noah, you see society starting to grow and expand, nations being formed from the descendants of Noah, the Tower of Babel is the origin of languages. And so, really, a lot of foundations here in many things, but also just including modern times. I mean, where did all these countries and groups of people and languages come from? And the Bible gives us some information about that. Okay? So, then we have our next set of six. That was the beginnings, kind of the beginnings of everything, beginnings of the world and the universe, the beginnings of mankind and sin, and then judgment, followed by beginnings of nations and languages. Okay. So then we have point number two, and again, by the way, I'll back up and say that uh, one of the points of this is just you know if you kind of are roughly familiar with this, especially if someone's uh, not you know super familiar with the scripture, did not grow up uh, in church, having this kind of outline in your mind gives kind of a general feel for a lot of the scriptures, and that was one of the points because we had uh, fun going through the Bible and talking about these points as we went through them. Um, so we did about one a week, so it took us, you know, the better part of a year to do it. Okay, beginnings of Israel. Yeah. All right. So if you're thinking founding fathers, that's a good one to think of. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, often referred to in the scriptures, talking about, in a sense, the scriptures doesn't use the term founding fathers, but uh, talks about them that way. Abraham, of course, the father of the the nation of Israel. And then Joseph, uh, continuing with that in his time in Egypt, 430 years of incubating the nation in uh, Egypt, and then bringing them out again in, uh, when it was time, God's timing, to bring them into the promised land. Okay, next set of six. Uh, after that, leaders of Israel. Uh, many are probably thinking what would come after that. We descended with Moses. So most would probably think, okay, probably Joshua in here. But we'll see that continue with these points. Uh, Joshua, time of the judges, and then uh, the last of the judges, Samuel, that man of transition, uh, where they demanded a king, and so after God allowed for that, um, uh, even though He said, "Here's the consequences of your decision," but God gave them what they wanted, and uh, so then they had Saul first, David, and Solomon each reigning for forty years. Okay, uh, this is; these are all uh, titles and and so forth of. Um, Dr. Tetro, uh the not hearing hurt. I mean, they weren't listening to God. They didn't do what they were supposed to, and that brought pain upon the nation. So that's the point of that set of six. Um, so 19 through 24, um, yeah, the, they had first a schism under Solomon's son, Rehoboam, and, and they split into uh, the two, uh, 10 to the north, two to the south, uh, the northern tribes, the ones who um, rebelled and adopted, chose Jeroboam as their leader, and the south stayed loyal to Rehoboam. And so the north and south had their capitals, and each had 20 rulers that are mentioned in the scriptures until the time when they went into captivity and were judged by God uh, for not listening to him and not obeying him. Okay, so then that brought about a painful end, the next uh, set of six. And course um, Assyria, uh, in fact, world leaders and the prominent ones are, um, you know, they go in this order. Assyria was a dominant force at the time that the northern tribes were conquered. They were more wicked than the south. So God judged them first. And uh, they were uh, conquered by Assyria. Assyria is replaced by Babylon. That uh, is in 722 BC, uh, approximately when that happens. Uh, Babylon uh, well, there's a series of three waves in um, 605, 597, and 586 B.C. And um, so Babylon, you know, well, if you think about that, uh, 605 versus 722, you know, so it's over 100 years later when God judges the south and there's a new world, you know, um, force on the scene, it's a series kind of been replaced by Babylon and so and then they're allowed to return out of captivity number 28 there come back into the promised land these are some of the leaders that uh, did that not all at once uh, mind you um, but at different points coming back and then prophets that ministered during that time many of the prophets ministered during the time when Israel wasn't listening and uh, Israel and Judah killed many of those prophets as uh, we read about uh, even in the New Testament when the Jewish leadership said, well, we wouldn't have done that. And then they turned around and they killed the Son of God. Um, so, but they thought, oh, we wouldn't have done that. We were, we're the good guys. We, we love God, and, and yet they kill God in the flesh. Um, but that's uh, often what happened back then. They, they didn't believe God. They um, didn't love God, and thus many of the prophets suffered. But these are three prophets that ministered after they came back from exile. And then you have 400 silent years between the book of Malachi, the last one written in the Old Testament, not just the last one in the Old Testament, but it was the last one written, and when uh, the Gospels are written um, in the New Testament or when Jesus comes. Okay? And there were uh, three kingdoms uh, reigning uh, during that time. Um, let's see, Babylon replaced by Persia, replaced by Greece, replaced by eventually Rome I think, I'm going back in memory here, I think that's who that's, those are the three kingdoms being referenced there. Okay, and then we come to the New Testament. Uh, Ten points there. Okay, so the first ones are easy. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John with different audiences and emphasis amongst uh, those books. And then six more uh, for the New Testament. Um, these uh, first three, 35 through 37 uh, focusing on that early church and some of their leadership and some of the people that they tended to minister to and then the last two points uh, actually the last three uh, uh, points epistles written by Paul general epistles to the church in general and the writings of John kind of wrap up our points there okay we won't do more with that that was just a, a review from that maybe we'll do that from time to time not too often yeah, I don't want to make you sick of that. You hear things too much, you know, familiarity breeds contempt. Okay, I'm not trying to make you contempt towards uh, those 40 points there, but maybe occasionally uh, when I think it's been long enough that uh, you're not going to be bugged by it. We'll bring them up again and review. Okay, so now back to our uh, new study here. How do we know that God exists? Uh, well, this is, so what I'm thinking here is, <clears throat> actually the main source that I'm using is a systematic theology book. And I've had it for a number of years. Occasionally, I've referenced it. I haven't really used it for any kind of uh, study series. I don't, wanna get, um, I don't wanna get too technical and I don't wanna get too bogged down in things. Um, I'm not really convinced personally that getting too technical and bogged down is what most people uh, need or are, or are interested in. I think um, if, if a person has a really analytical, technical mind, they really can get into getting into very minute details of things, but I think that that person's uh in the minority it's a, a rare person that has that mentality um so for us, I just don't want to scare you with the with a book that's systematic theology like oh no i'm already I'm already snoozing just listening to the title uh there so I hope it stays interesting um so that you won't. Uh, be tempted to sleep on me uh, because of the topic you might be tempted to sleep on me for other reasons like for example if you didn't sleep well last night and that's why you fall asleep, I can live with that I, want to, I don't want to be because I'm putting you to sleep uh, like I'm the cause of your problems um, unless you need to sleep, maybe that's helpful then maybe that's exactly what you need this morning I'm, I'm going to help you sleep <laughs> but I hope not alright, so um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a big thick book I'm not going to take seven years going through that thing, um, even though that's the number of perfection. But uh, I'm going to start with um, this doctrine of God. It's actually not the first one in the book. The first one in the book uh, focuses on the Word of God. I'm not sure I'm going to do that much with that because it didn't seem that long ago that I went through a series where we talked about the Word of God and how we got our Bible and did a lot with that. Um, so I didn't see that as something to come back through at this point. Um, But we'll go ahead and take a look at a God. Many of these have the word doctrine in them. I also used the word theology earlier. I don't think in our church there's a big um, negative, knee-jerk reaction to those words. But there can be um, in society. Um, Perhaps it's been earned at times uh, where maybe people got so focused on the uh I don't know, like the academic exercise of the minutiae of doctrine that they lost the practical side of why we want to know these things, so perhaps that's behind some people bristling a little bit at oh no, the doctrine um, I forget where I heard this I, i'm pretty sure I heard it from Pastor Dean, but I don't remember. W- if it was related to him personally or if it, he was just relaying a story he had heard. Um, but I think uh, someone either asked him or he heard of someone asking a pastor in a church, like at your church, you guys don't teach doctrine, do you? What's that? It was at the school. It was at the school. Okay, so she remembers details on that. So was it Pastor Dean? Here at the school. He used to be the principal here. Okay, so someone asking about our school. Yeah, you don't teach doctrine, do you? Well, the word doctrine means teachings. Of course, of course we teach it. the school, it's one of the main things we do. And we're a Christian school, we do teach Bible teachings. Uh, so in that sense, we, we do, yeah, we teach, teach doctrine. So I'm gonna try to avoid things that might feel like it becomes irrelevant because it's so technical and academic. Uh, we'll, we'll try to avoid that aspect where doctrine can feel that way to some. But uh, this is just, what does the Bible teach us uh, about God? And so that'll be our first uh, focus, but there'll be other areas that will uh, look at doctrines in these areas. Of course, uh, theology, I mean, literally the word means studying God, study of God, but in a broader sense, it's uh, theology is just used for studying the Bible, studying uh, our faith, uh, teachings of the Bible. And so that's what I'm hoping. Hopefully, hope there's a practical uh, side to this. Um, if you learn things new, great. If you're reminded of things you forgot, great. If you are hearing things that you didn't forget, uh, perhaps there's still an encouragement in it. All right, so we're going to start with this first one, the doctrine of God, and lesson number one focuses on this question that's here. Um, How do we know that God exists? I'm just letting that sink in for a moment. Let me know that God exists. This is, I think all of us have wrestled with this. I have a hard time imagining that that someone never had any wonderment about that question. I think we all, at some point—I don't know when it would be for you um, personally—if it's like me, you might have thought about that from time to time over time. So it wasn't just like one time you contemplated that question. I think maybe, perhaps, you contemplated it more than once. One of the things I like about teaching in school here is I like working with the older students. I like working with the older students because we get a chance to think about deeper questions. And um, we've uh, been this this year in my chapel times with them trying to share things that I hope um, encourage them in trust in God and trust in the Christian message, the gospel in particular, this current year, um, we have a lot of new students in our upper grades, and um, some of them are very new in the faith, and others not really sure that they are Christians. And, and so, because of the audience that I'm dealing with, which does have some mature Christians in the group, um, but uh, just a handful, and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to neglect uh, their needs but still we have quite a few that again, because I'm, I'm not even sure if they're Christians, coming back and, and just trying to share things that might bolster their trust If if they, especially if they don't have any. Can you trust the Bible? Can you trust God? Do you need his salvation? And I'm trusting the Lord's Holy Spirit to take what's taught and run with it. Uh, but I'm going to Uh, I think I was originally planning on mentioning this later in today's lesson, but I'm going to mention it, uh, the general thought now, and and I've shared this thought with uh, the teens. Everyone has to accept parts of what you believe by faith. You cannot prove um, everything. Uh, We don't have the ability to set up a science experiment uh, to test and prove the existence of God. Um, doesn't mean we have a blind faith. But what I tell the teens when I say something like that is also if you, if you don't believe in God, in whatever your belief is, you have to do the exact same thing. No one can um, say, I believe this because I have absolutely no doubts because it's completely proven and shown to be true. Um, we just can't do that. I mean one of the you know the one of the areas where there's you know a lot of talk you know we've talked about it a lot a lot of um mental competition between these two is creation and evolution, and you can't scientifically through man's observations prove either one uh, there will be no ability to do that uh, so if someone says to go back to the origin of the thing we just can't go back in time um, and we we don't have. Video evidence, and even if we had video evidence, I think all of us have probably been around long enough to know that videos can be falsified, tweaked, uh, modified. Um, I remember watching a commercial. It was like, how in the world do they do that? Um, they had a commercial with uh, where they had a bunch of dead movie stars in the commercial, all interacting. like, how? one of them, I, the only one I can remember clearly was John Wayne. Like, how they get, how did they do that? It looks so natural like it's him. But he's not alive. He, he didn't act for that commercial. I don't know how they did that. Uh, so even video, uh, if we had a videotape of God creating the world, that wouldn't really prove anything. Um, it would be like the conversation uh, between um, Abraham and where he w- had Lazarus with him and the rich man calling out, well, if you'll just send back Lazarus from the dead, my brothers will believe and he says, nope, not not even if someone came back from the dead. If they won't believe Moses and the prophets, they're not going to believe even if someone came from the dead. Which was evidence when uh, Jesus did things like uh, raise another Lazarus, not the same guy, but another common name during that time. Um, but another man, Lazarus, uh, Martha and Mary's uh, brother, that didn't cause all the the people to say, oh wow, he must have the power of God. No, they found other ways to discredit it and and they just had no hearts to, to believe. And so, um, but, you know, faith has to be there. We have no option. We'd like to have options when we like to know 100%. But the book of First Corinthians says now we see through a glass, a glass darkly. Like it's tinted. Like if I had a, a really heavily tinted glass, it would be like, I, okay, I can see you guys through there. But... Maybe not completely clear, um, okay, but then, in the future, face to face, now we know in part, but then we shall know, even as also we are known um, we have the now we have to accept by faith there 's a side of us that wishes you know when like the the one prospective teacher that's trying to discern the lord 's will we 'd like a writing in the sky, voice from heaven calling down, go here, do this. But all of those things, even though there's a natural desire, would negate what God desires, which is that we trust and rely upon him and that we not insult him by saying, well, God, okay, I don't know what you said in your word, but could you, could you give me some confirmation besides that that would make me really know? Wait a minute, he already said that. I have one student at school, he's getting a little better at it, but a couple of years ago he used to do this a lot. I would say something to him, and he would ask me again. So, wait a minute, I already answered you. Did, you. did you not hear me? Oh, you did hear me. Why are you asking me again? Did you think the first time I didn't mean what I said, or I'm lying to you? Like, why do you have to hear it twice for me to get a confirmation that I actually meant what I said the first time? That I said it, but he's just trying to make sure. And so sometimes we're kind of that way with the Lord, when maybe the Lord would have us just trust Him the first time. But I don't want to get off on that too much because I want to come back to the idea that we just we can't uh, prove these things. So having said that, um, let's come back to our question: How do we know uh, that God exists? Well, let's take a look at these. Uh, three areas here, okay, and uh, look at the first one, okay, so, again, these uh, points are coming from that systematic theology book, and uh, I don't think these prove, and later we'll, um, time permitting, I've got to keep things moving along here, uh, man, that's going by quick, um, so, <laughs> see if I get to everything I want to get to, I might have to say part of it for later, but, um, well, I'll take a look at these points. Humanity's inner sense of God. Um, it's just amazing that this is the case. Uh, a BBC article uh, pointed this out. It says, Religion, the belief in supernatural beings, including gods and ghosts, angels and demons, souls and spirits, can be found throughout history and in every culture. Every known human culture has creation myths. Now you can see that they, they don't believe the Bible account of creation. It's just a bit story. But they're recognizing, though, the truth that the concept of the supernatural exists everywhere. It's not just in a, a small group of people. Um, the Bible teaches that this is the case. Um, you know, long before the Bible had access to all the cultures of the world or been all over to, to show this, of course god god knows and he revealed it Uh, so in the book of romans chapter one uh, for the wrath of god is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness so in their unrighteous ungodly rejecting god condition that they're in they hold the truth goes on to say in verse 19 because that that which may be known of god is is manifest or made known in them, for God has showed it unto them. Because that, when they, when they knew God, when, when they were given evidence that showed God is God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, now, this is not name-calling here. Um, you know, of course, a, a fool is one who does not do wise things with what they know. And so here, God has clearly shown them evidence of his own existence, and they uh, do not do with that what they should do. Um, they should recognize God as God, but they don't. And so it says they, in verse 23, they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. So what the BBC article is referencing is that, um, yeah, uh, the concept of God is and the supernatural is everywhere, but that doesn't mean that they all have the concept of the, the one true God. It's warped, it's twisted, It's um, they take the image of God, turn it into the image of man and four-footed beasts, and you get all these idols and other concepts of the supernatural uh, that are twists and warps, uh, warped uh, versions of what they should have concluded, but they will not recognize God Himself. Okay? And so um, they say it's hard to get exact, this is the BBC article, it's hard to get exact data about the number of believers today, but some polls suggest that up to 84% of the world's population are members of religious groups or claim that religion is important to their lives. Okay. Now, you can see a certain bias in this next statement. We believe, well, we live in a time of unprecedented access to scientific knowledge, which some see as being at odds with religious belief. So why is religion so pervasive and persistent? Well, I won't go on there, because in the article, they they give secular you know thoughts about how this would have come about uh, but I read the article just because there's a recognition without really challenge that people see that, you know, they have this inner sense, which is the first point, that there's something. And so um, that's our first thought. Like, how do we know God exists? There's this inner sense that's there. Um, now, that doesn't mean that some don't deny this inner sense, Um Psalm fourteen one: the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Uh, some people have that, they call themselves atheists, there's no God. And so the conclusion uh, you know, from this, okay, um, and uh, just quoting here, it is the wicked person who first curses and renounces the Lord, and then in pride repeatedly thinks there is no God, um, referencing Uh, not just the Psalm 14, but Psalm 10, verses 3 and 4. Uh, Verse 4, by the way, says this. The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. And so it's not because of the evidence the Bible identifies. It's just a certain internal attitude. I don't want it. Uh, It can't be true. I don't want that to be true. I'm not accepting it. But I'll continue reading. These passages indicate both that sin leads people to think irrationally and to deny God's existence. And that it is someone who is thinking irrationally or who has been deceived, you will say, there is no God. All right. Well, uh, in the scriptures, uh, Paul uh, recognizes that sin will cause people to deny the knowledge of God. Um, there's a number of verses in that Romans 1 passage uh, that use active verbs that indicate there's that willing suppression. Um, I won't read those there just for sake of time, I'm going to keep it moving. Uh, but verses 23 through 32, just as one example, they change his glory into, the, into another image. We read that one, change the truth of God into a lie. There are several statements like that. Okay? So we're going to come to our next point here, evidence that is found in Scripture. We won't spend a lot of time on this one because the, the point is easy to make. Um, the Bible everywhere assumes the existence of God. Um, so yes, there are specific verses that um, talk some about God. Uh, one of the names of God, uh, for example, um, Elohim and this self-existent one. Um, God was not a created being, and He's there. And so the Bible assumes this right from the beginning, Genesis one one. Um, we're not uh, the, the case is not made that God exists, but rather what He what He does assumes his existence. Now, here's what he does. And so, the Scripture is very clear on, on teaching this. Now, this goes back to one of the points um, that I made earlier and one of the things I said I'm working with the teens on. If the teens are going to believe the Gospel, um, and if anyone's going to believe the Gospel, uh, what it comes down to, uh, in, in good part, is do they trust the Bible? Because the Bible's where we learn about the Gospel. If the Bible can't be believed, If the Bible's not trustworthy, then we don't trust its message. And so uh, a lot of this point comes down to, do do we personally have any trust in the Bible? We're not taking the time uh, today to provide evidences of the Bible's veracity, of its truthfulness, of its trustworthiness. And we have done that a number of times. It's uh, on my heart a lot to do. Apologetics, defending our faith, defending uh, the, the trustworthiness of the Word of God, creation and evolution issues, also is an attack at the trustworthiness of the Bible, which teaches a creation story. Can you trust that Noah's flood? Can you trust this? You undermine particular things the Bible teaches. You undermine whether the Bible is a trustworthy source. We don't want to have blind faith. Is there evidence of the Bible's trustworthiness? I conclude there is. We're not going into that uh, deeply at this time. But if the Bible is to be trusted, then this point, then the, the Scriptures itself teaches that God exists. Okay, And evidence found in nature, we could spend a lot of time on that, and we have at various points in Sunday school, um, looking at evidence that supports um, the truthfulness of the Bible, whether that one series where we looked at how we got our Bible and where it came from and manuscript evidence, all of that kind of stuff, or we've done creation evolution things, whether... The Bible's account is supported that way. Is there evidence in, uh, in our world, in our observations, that there's truthfulness here? Or, or do we have a blind truth and we're just sticking our heads in the sand, uh, even though the evidence proves us wrong? And, of course, we've concluded um, as a whole, as a group, that that's not the case. Um, Romans 1.20 says, The invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Um, being understood by the things that are made even as eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. God says, I've given you plenty of evidence in creation uh, that shows my existence. So this kind of overlaps some of the things that we said on uh, the first one where God's given evidence there. But there's uh, evidence in the Bible. Paul and Barnabas mentioned um, that there were times of having uh, fruitful seasons, uh, rains, uh, coming as evidence of God, God's existence. Or David mentions the sky and the heavenly bodies. Um, as, am uh, sorry, um, yeah. And then also his own body as uh, evidences of a wonderful God who's done great creative acts. So there's just so many examples of intricate, wonderfully designed things in nature that show this. Um, we have uh, just a little bit of time left. So I'm not going to get to some of the things that I would have if I had more time, but I think today I'm set up and just ready to show an example of this, um, how that (coughs) there are things in nature that that uh, provide evidence uh, that at least the at bare minimum the concept of there being a God (coughs) can be supported, not proven, but can be supported, and there are difficulties that exist. I'll mention one. Difficulties exist with proving he doesn't or showing that things evolved on their own. One of the uh, things that Darwin recognized would be an example. In fact, he said uh, that he would confess that it would look absurd to to show that the eyeball had evolved because it's so complicated. Um, I looked up uh, one article on that, uh, which uh, attempts to say, "Hey, we we found how that happened." I'll summarize it because of my time here. Um, this uh, article comes from um, Science Daily, and uh, it says at one point researchers have discovered um, and that how this evolved. Okay, now <clears throat> to summarize it, I'll say this: that what they Uh, say is true about this is that they've looked at a living fossil, which is an organism that is thought not to have changed in its evolution for a long time, like it's still like something that lived hundreds of millions of years ago, and they've looked at some of the cells in there that have some light-sensitive capability in this living fossil, which is a type of worm, and they see something in the structure of that cell that is similar to something in the structure of the rods and cones in the eyeball. And they say this indicates, let me see if I could actually find this. Um, Here it is. Um, I was immediately intrigued by the idea that both of these light-sensitive cells may have the same evolutionary origin. And then he says later, Uh, He explains that if cells between species have matching molecular fingerprints, then the cells are very likely to share a common ancestor cell. The major assumption there, and and this goes along uh, a lot in biological evolution, similarity implies a relationship. It'd be like walking down the street and seeing someone that looks like you uh, you've probably run into that in your life. I showed Kate a picture on a printout from a Bob Jones pamphlet. looked like her. Not exactly like her, but kind of close. But I didn't conclude they were sisters. I have a reason to think they were related. But I, I showed it to several people So you know, see who it makes. Them. A lot of people thought, yeah, well, that does look a lot like Kate. But that doesn't mean they're relatives. I don't think she even knows. Them. Maybe she's reached out by now on Facebook to find this soulmate of hers. Uh, but probably not. Um, similarity-proved relationship. Well, that's one of the things that often...